Hello, and welcome to the Four Color Nerds Comics Podcast, episode 55. I'm Christina, and I'm joined by some other nerds. Carissa. Hello. Ryan. Hello. Together, we take on this week's comics. Each week, we read a variety of comics and gather here to discuss them. This is a review show, so there will be spoilers. So if you don't want to hear spoilers, take a break now and go read your books, and then come on back. Each week, one of us picks our favorite book, and that's our pick of the week. This week, I am that nerd. This week, the pick of the week goes to Invincible Iron Man, number one. Our companion song is Desperate Youth by Santa Gold. Um, it's one of my favorite, favorite songs, and I think it kind of explains the sad sadness and awesomeness about her. So that was that was my pick. Invincible Iron Man, issue number one, Marvel Comics, written by Brian Michael Bendis, pencils and inks by Stefano Casilli, colors by Martel Gracia. The art is pretty fucking good in this issue. The art yeah. is really amazing. So we have Riri, and she's got her Iron Man suit, which is actually kind of cool. It looks, to me, what it looks like is almost like a Transformer. Mm-hmm. Yes. It's got the pointy things. I like it. Like Robotech, maybe. Yeah. I like it. It looks different. It kind of stands out. I like that it's not the regular Iron Man suit with, like, boobs. You know, that she is yes. different. You know? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, they could have totally done that, and I'm so glad that they didn't do that. I mean, she made it for herself, so she can make it whatever she wants to look like. I do have to say that the opening scene where she's battling these monsters, the character who is controlling these monsters, Animac, I thought it was Dazzler. She looks like she's drawn almost exactly like Dazzler from A-Force. I knew it wasn't because this character is cool, so it couldn't have been Dazzler. <laughs> she does have a cool power. She controls monsters that she takes from, isn't it like from her body? It's like DNA. It's pretty vague on exactly what she does, but... I'm thinking spit or something, maybe? Yeah. And they form into monsters? It reminded me very much of like a video game where you have to figure out who's the boss. You have to kill the boss to get rid of all the other monsters that she's controlling. Yep. They have to figure that out, which is pretty cool. And I mean, she's super, super, super smart. Super genius is what they said. It's interesting when they go back and talk about it. It's almost like her parents are a little bit frightened by her because they're like she's a super genius which could mean she's like super genius and a good person or super genius and an evil person then referring to her is yeah dr doom (laughs) because she's so smart she can't really connect with a lot of people so she doesn't really have any friends and her parents are worried about her yeah if you become a shut-in and you're just super smart and you start building machinery that is not used for good story for a supervillain not a superhero exactly (laughs) exactly is that a death ray honey or a flower glitter gun which one (laughs) depends on the setting yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. She's slaving away, and her soon-to-be friend on her bike rides by. It was really cool. She's like, just some kid that like just pulls up and is like, "Hey, what you doing?" Like, yeah, that reminds me of how you made friends when you were a little kid. Just like, what you playing with? <laughs> you exactly. Know? She's just driving by on her bike and is like, "Hey, what's up? You're close to my age. We could be friends." <laughs> I like that a lot. I also like that it showed her her building it. It wasn't overnight. Like she'd been working on this for years. She's smart, so she's probably 
step by step, very methodically thinking out exactly what she wanted to do. And it was really interesting where she said she wanted it to be like a tech tattoo, but it's I'm just not there yet. Yeah. <laughs> Probably rebuilding it over and over in her head. Yeah, she built that big one. She's like, it needs to be smaller. Which is the way that technology kind of goes. It always starts out really big, and then you yeah. start making it smaller and smaller. Well, and she can't even explain what she's doing to other people. Yeah. Or her mom's like, what's this? And she's like, it's complicated. And then the yeah. girl is like, what does this do? And she's like, it's really hard to explain. It's like she doesn't have the complete idea or at least a way to verbalize what she's trying to do. She knows what she wants it to do, but it, it's just not there mm-hmm. yet. We get the introduction of her, and it's, basically it's her best friend. Now it's her best friend, Natalie. They grow up together, and there is this very, very, very sad scene where it's Riri, her family. It's like a huge picnic and a you know public park. This was so sad. There's kids running. You hear gunshots. Mom screams, and then you find out that her best friend got shot, and also her stepdad got shot. Because he was actually trying to save them. Yes. I like that they set it up with the stepfather, that they're like, oh, he's so lame, and he always tells me it's a great day, even when it's, like, raining outside. Yeah. Because he's scared of me. He's scared. (laughs) Well, and he also, you know, he's worried that, well, both my parents are, that if they say the wrong thing, that I'm going to, like, flip the Doctor Doom switch and, you know into a supervillain. They mentioned Doctor Doom. It's very fully obvious that you're in the Marvel Universe, even though this seems like a very hometown story. Interesting they keep mentioning him. I think they're they're setting it up because, you know, with the whole Victor grabbing the suit in the other arc. We're setting the path up yeah. for the two of them together at some point. And I do like that, like, the moment the danger happens, that her stepfather immediately leaps into action to try and save both of them. Mm-hmm. It doesn't work for everybody, but no. he does what a hero is supposed to do. This That total timing where he basically proves what she's saying wrong. You're still yeah. a dad. You're still sacrificing mm-hmm. yourself for your kid. And so very sad. Very, very sad. Good emotional panels. Very sad the, the way it was laid out where she's like lying on the ground and she's like, why? That was like super sad. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's another thing that I like about this is they never really explain why it happens. Right. It's very unclear why those people were there shooting at people. And she never looks back and is like, oh, looking back, it was because of this. It's just a bad thing that happened to you that there is no explanation for. Exactly. Yeah. That you cannot make sense of why this would happen. I have a mom hearing it before and trying to give a warning of the mom who first yelled out. I'm like, oh my gosh. Think of Inside Out. That's like a core memory that you will never unsee kind of thing. So I'm sure that is going to stick with her throughout. I have a feeling that's going to be her base of what she does. They actually kind of show that when she attacks, I want to call it Dazzler, it's not Dazzler, Mm -hmm. and the cops come at her and are shooting at her. You know, she's like, you know, why are you shooting at me? And I love that she grabs the guns and crushes them. Yeah. Comment on it too much. The cops start shooting at her before they say anything to her. Mm-hmm. Like they mm-hmm. fire shots, then they're like, get down on the ground, which yeah. I thought was an interesting way for Bendis maybe to address some things that are happening. Yeah. I also do like uh, Gold Balls is in here. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> as soon as I read it, I'm like, Rory would love this. <laughs> Rory, where are you? <laughs> <laughs> she watches the video of Animax fighting the X Men and Gold Balls yeah. saves the day. And I also love the Champions reference, how the Champions took her down at the mall. Yeah. I was like, yay, go Champions. So I hope that's not scheduling being mixed up again, and then we're going to see that issue. I think it's just alluding to them doing something. There's a lot of flashback and forth in this book, but it's really well done. Like, I don't think it's choppy. I don't think it, it misleads you in any way. I think it was really, really well done, where we get to modern times where she's still working and building on her suit. And we've saw the issues before where she doesn't have an AI, and she asked Tony for one. And due to certain circumstances that hadn't happened, and there is someone who arrives with a box. Her mom is there and they're like, uh, that's scary. <laughs> the big button that says push me. She's like, what are you going to do? She's like, push it, of course. Yeah, yeah, push it. I've seen that Twilight Zone episode. Don't hit the button. So she pushes a button and it's a AI, almost a physical AI of Tony Stark that's here to help. 
He's like, let's get to work. Let's finish everything. Both the Invincible and Infamous Iron Man have the same AI. Yes. Yeah. And I love that because more Tony all the time. All the time. This issue does have a lot of flashbacks, but they never feel like they're distractions from the story. They feel like they're reinforcing those thematic beats to lead you to moments to give them more impact when they happen. When the cops shoot her, she's been in shootings before. Her reaction to that is kind of what you almost expect. Like, she probably is not a big fan of guns. I think with the AI and her, I think this is a really nice not necessarily clever but it was a really smart idea to blend and transition and keep it still Iron Man but it's new but it's own thing to me this was her origin story yeah I mean literally this read like a movie it did her as a school age child you get her as a little older child you made her friend you see what happens to her family you have her building the suit she uses the suit she saves someone and then you get a nice ending Brian Michael Bendis knows how to tell stories here and I also really appreciate that Riri does not sound like like Tony Stark. No. That she no, has a lot of difficulty all. expressing her ideas and that she's very unsure and uncertain of what's going on. And so she is so different that I really feel like the quippy fun part of Tony will play off nicely in its AI way to yeah. her because that's kind of the best parts of Tony in a way the quips and the quick fires like well he get that and I can I can see a moment where they're arguing in the suit about what to do about a situation mm-hmm. I can see that happening yes. yeah I definitely felt like this is her own story that she's not just Iron Man Jr. or something like that exactly exactly this is a good jumping point for everybody like if you haven't seen anything until now and you get this book this is what you need I was quite pleased I was a little hesitant I didn't know what they were gonna do with her like I was very open-minded to the idea I liked Riri from what we've seen so far but i wasn't really sure how they were gonna make it her her own thing and i really like how this came out it's a great addition especially to the younger characters in the marvel universe because some of our people are getting a little old (laughs) we need some new stories (laughs) (laughs) this is true and i love that last panel hologram tony looks awesome i'm gonna give it four and a half push me buttons i gave it four and a half his essence i will give it four and a half gold balls to the face Oh, that was so good. <laughs> so, yeah, it was just like, boink, boink, boink. And she gets like knocked out by them. Yeah. Oh, that was funny. So I'm taking us over to DC for Action Comics number 967, Men of Steel Part 1, written by Dan Jurgens, art by Tyler Kirkman. I really am a huge fan of heroes and villains that are kind of morally, they're not entirely good, they're not entirely bad. That's one of my favorite things in here. And this one kind of toys with Lex Luthor, who I think is a really interesting character for that. This issue, though, it really will help if you read the previous Justice League arc where all the heroes become like different gods and Lex Luthor becomes the god of apocalypse. That's really important to understand what's going on here. So it opens up with this like horrible vision of the earth under attack and you know there's parademons in the sky and you know all this all the heroes are like down on the ground like dead and they have this scene where they're these people are talking about the world is forever lost and the annihilator is here and then you see someone standing there with like the red cape like swirling around them. And normally you would think that kind of scene would be like Superman coming out to save the day, but this is talking about how they won't recognize the monster that's been birthed in their mist throughout the issue you have these two characters who are god slayers basically who are now on earth trying to basically kill Lex Luthor before he can become the monster. There's also some really cute parts with Clark and his son where he's showing him like all the old uniforms and he's like mm-hmm. hey dad why don't you wear the one with the underwear on the outside? Oh, I love <laughs> that. Like, <laughs> I love that. That part was really funny. That got me. So it's not underwear. Yeah. <laughs> 
He's like, it was sewn onto it. It is not a separate piece. Yeah. <laughs> and the kid's like, looks like underwear to me. Yeah, it's <laughs> bikini cut underwear. Sorry, buddy. <laughs> yeah. You know, and then he explains his last Superman uniform was when he was in the shadows, and now he needs something more inspirational. So he and his son, I like that Superman takes his son along on work days to kind of apprentice to his dad and see what's going on. So they're in the Amazon looking for this building that got ripped out of Metropolis. The Amazon looks really, really cool, first of all, when they're in there. There's all kinds of cool looking plants and animals that is just really interesting and now there's this corporation the building is in the middle of the amazon now and i like too that when you see it it's not just like the building it's like the street around it and all the substructures also this is the building that doomsday was in so they're trying to investigate it and figure out did the people even know they had doomsday why is this building not in metropolis anymore what's going on if you've been reading and i know you guys probably haven't but if you've been reading like (laughs) superwoman the lowest lane here is not actually this world's Lois Lane. She's pretending to be Lois Lane. So she has an interview with Lex Luthor where he's showing her his office. And his office space is basically his Superman outfit and a bunch of other stuff to like test and experiment with. It's really more like a lab than an office building. And because she's not this world's Lois Lane, she recognizes the mother box that he has powers a lot of his suit. And she's basically like, holy shit, Lex Luthor has a mother box. This can't be good because she knows what Apocalypse is. Mm. Lex Luthor shows her a new addition that he has to his suit that he can and transport material to other places. At first, it kind of looks when you're when he's using it like it's actually melting the object, but it's really teleporting it somewhere else through a boom tube. And that's when the bad guys attack, which is kind of interesting. You've got her when the explosion happens. Lois is hanging off of the like a girder, you know, waiting for Superman to come and save her. And the new Clark Kent, who is not Superman and has a very mysterious origin that's still being explored in all these action comics, he pulls her up and uses his little special watch that Superman gave him to call Superman in. So Lex kind of dives out of the building and his suit starts like forming around them while he's falling which is pretty cool and then he goes to fight these guys and he's not doing so well he's kind of getting his ass handed to him but then the actual superman shows up and they start fighting each other i like the fight scenes that you get kind of this at least to me this sense of how much power they actually have when they're hitting each other and that these guys are not here to really superhero punch him they're here to kill him they want him dead and then they show you the vision of why they're here where they show you lex luther on the throne of apocalypse so that's kind of where it ends so you've got this it almost actually this seems more like a civil war tie-in to me than anything else because it's kind of like a predictive justice thing luther hasn't done these things yet but they're to kill him before he does i just thought it was a really interesting issue and i I like superman i like seeing the interaction between his son i like lex luther being someone you don't know why he's doing what he's doing i think lex luther is a dick regardless i can't get past that i feel like he's just still a dick he is when the building exploded he didn't even try to save so is batman though you know yeah that's true but batman probably would have tried to save fake lois i do appreciate that fake clark looks like a hipster douchebag (laughs) i am (laughs) totally i can see it it kind of made me laugh when they show they show him the sweatshirt. I was like, "You are totally a hipster, especially with those glasses." And like weird, like I trapped the suit of armor in my watch for Luther. Yeah, bending reality. His suit does look pretty awesome, though. I think it does. It does look awesome. It's very, very mecha. The weird Care Bear stare that he has coming yeah. out of the, the symbol on his chest. Well, that's the thing he was showing where he's trying to teleport everybody away, but they keep knocking it off course. But yeah. it looks like a Care Bear stare. 
Yep, I, I will give you that. <laughs> so, I'm just saying, I, mean, I understand it's supposed to be his weapon, but still. I do really like the interaction between him and his son, too. I think that's a real strong point of this issue. That was really cool. My favorite parts were probably, yeah, the interaction with the son was really cute. And I did like the drawing of him, of Lex, looking like the Dark Seed. The last panel is a really great panel. Yeah. And I love the next Lex Luthor must die. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That just reminded me of like all the comic books like I read as a kid. Like Everything had that last sentence yeah. on there. Yeah. That kind of made me smile a little bit. Even though yes. I still don't like it. <laughs> yeah. Where the god killer is like, the future is clear. You're destined yeah. to take Darkseid's place. For the sake of your victims to be, I sentence you to dun-dun-dun death. It's yeah. very old school ending for a comic book. I will give it three and a half mother boxes. I'll give it three uh, Lex Care Bear stairs. <laughs> I'll give it three Hipster Clarks. Oh, because I thought someone was going to take the red underwear. Man, I should take it. I was going to take the red underwear. Damn, I forgot about that. <laughs> Oh, roll hot Tony's. Damn it. <laughs> Keep us in DC, sort of, Carissa. I was surprised I picked this, but I was more curious about the new line. So this is Mother Panic number one, DC Comics slash Young Animals. Young Animals is the thing I was actually curious so to see if you were doing. The imprint. Uh, a work in progress, part one, written by Jody Hauser and art by Tommy Lee Edwards. It was my understanding this is supposed to be for more young adults. Nah. And it seems a lot pretty dark. <laughs> so I don't think when they say young adults, I think there's this one is for people when they're like late teens or twenties, not twelve. Yes. Okay, okay, because this is pretty dark. Yeah, I'm thinking on the realms of like when you first read Sandman, probably a little too young to read that kind of thing, and this kind of reminded me of that look. Yeah, I can see that. Like, yeah. This should be a Vertigo book. Yes. Yes, I'll say right now I'm not familiar with the characters in here except for they're all new. Except for Batman, okay, except for Batman. Okay, so there's. Um, it looks like a rich. I'm not sure if she's a celebutant or a rock star or what. She's a celebutant. A celebutant. Mm-hmm. So Violet, she's coming back, going to a gala in Gotham. Lots of tweens there waiting to meet her on the tarmac, taking selfies and talking about her. She is not the most gracious nor elegant celebutant. She flips them off. She's dressed kind of like a grungy, I guess, kind of punk rocker, Mm -hmm. rock star. Those glasses look like glasses that I've seen Christina wear. Yes, I have glasses like that. I don't wear pants like that, though. I don't like those rolled up pants. They're aviators. Yes. So, yeah. I mean, I have a jacket like her, so I, mean, I can't really say nothing. It's the aviators that are like the super, like, cop ones that are super reflective. Yeah, I have those. Yeah. I can see you rocking them. Yeah. Then we get a flack back to 15 years ago where it's at her house and her dad is having her take out, but he makes her go say goodbye to her mom, and it's clear her mom is not well. Her mom is somehow i'm not sure what it is but some kind of dementia i think it's early onset alzheimer's actually if there's a nice panel at the very end of the book that describes the character it will help you a whole lot if you go like literally flip to the end first read all about it and then go through it made it a lot easier so she goes says goodbye and the mom doesn't recognize her and the dad reminds uh violet though if you leave and she does remember you she'll remember that you didn't say goodbye which i thought was very touching i thought that was i don't know if people have had much experience dealing with people who are going through Alzheimer's or early onset Alzheimer's or maybe so heavily medicated they can't remember what's going on necessarily. And some of those things you do, which are really hard, you do almost for yourself that you know that you made the effort and maybe, maybe they'll receive it. So then it jumps from that flashback to like this rooftop refinery looking building. And the first panel on this page really kind of confuses me. I'm like, are they hugging? Are they making out? Because they're kind of small. There's like two guys. And I'm not sure what they're doing. Originally, I thought they were kind of making out. But then later on, you you hear about who the two are. And I'm like, well, then that doesn't make sense. (laughs) 
The art in here is very unclear a lot of the times. I don't I'm yeah. not a big fan of the art. One gentleman is showing another gentleman something he has like in a vault. And he's like, it's his artwork. I've had this. It's my dream. I've had this commissioned. I really want to see it to you. And the younger gentleman says, well, I'm honored, sir. And there's a close up panel of a guy looking horrified at what he sees. And he just kind of like says it's very interesting and just trying to like give like a play it off kind of cool. So then it jumps to the uh, modern time to the gala. And Violet walking in, looking like her rock star self. Just like her distaste with the whole event. Like, you know, people are mad. Like people are giving her dirty look. She fucking hates everybody. She really does. Yeah, she really does. <laughs> yep. She calls everyone assholes. <laughs> There's a panel at the end where I don't want to, Daddy, which is going to like in, back into a memory. And you, when you turn the page, it's them hunting Buck with her dad and someone else. You presume this is the trip that they're about to leave the house for from the previous flashback. And she doesn't want to take the shot. And, you know, he's saying that she's too much like her mother. So the friend who's with them takes a shot. Fred, I guess is what his name is. You know, they kill the deer and, you know, I'll get you, I'll teach you to do it. Don't worry, you'll, you'll pull the trigger yet. I don't know why it's so important that she does, but they want her to. Because... Uh. <laughs> What? He's trying to, to bond with her, and part of becoming, I want to say a man, but, you know, this is his daughter that he's trying to bond with, but yeah. hunting is an important part of that, and the ability to actually take the shot is important. I would think it's just a big step just to get a child to go with you onto that. I mean, she she clearly seemed like she was having fun there. She just did it. She got the sight set up. You know, that's pretty good. And then she's like, okay, I'm done. Most kids are not able to pull the trigger the first time. They can't do it. The doc was right too much too soon. So she's like, you know, bellying up to the bar, going to get a drink. She's like, people are talking. She's like, I don't care. Leave me alone. And then... Some of them tries to make question her about some events around her. Apparently her dad had a mysterious death, which we don't know anything about, clearly. And I like how she's like, you know, this is a cherry event, you fucking leech. And was like, don't touch me ever again. You can ask my dad what happened to him if you touch me again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you know, she's just at the party dealing with people. And then you see the guy from the vault slash roof, the weird swarmy glasses dude with the mustache. And he's saying that someone's running. I couldn't tell who from this artwork. I was like, I don't know who that guy is. It's the same person he showed the artwork to, yeah. I realize that, but at first, is what I'm saying, it's kind of hard with the artwork to tell. It's very dark. The artwork is very indistinct. Again, I'm not a fan of the artwork. The younger guy he was with before, he gets met at the spinning doors to the gala, and he's basically getting jumped. And they push him out into the alleyway, silencer gun to the forehead, and he's like, don't, basically, we know our orders. And he gets attacked by a visual ante in a white, I don't know, is that a fox suit or what that is, but... Creepy nightmare suit? Yes. She starts just beating them up, all the thugs up. I love the panel that shows the whole combat and the different fight, and then it's intercut with, like, either silhouettes of the combat or weird red and white random images. That, to me, is a Gerard Way touch. Gotta be his influence. I thought it was pretty neat. The guy goes to thank her, and he's like, are you one of the people with the bat? And she's like, fuck the bat. Knocks him out. <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, no, you didn't. She takes off with, you know, him like a sack of potatoes going up the thing. And then the then Batman does show up. Yeah. Like, he <laughs> kind of walks out and looks at the basically the crime scene. He's like, hmm. I, did I do this? Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. I also like, I think you can tell from the panel where he's looking. He's looking exactly where she went to. Like, he's figured out. So, yeah, I, I like that. There's his cameo. The, yep. hmm. She flies away on some sort of, like, weird little, like, speeder skiff thing to back to her own mansion yeah with him tied up on the wing yeah, yeah. 
I like that. I do like that he's on the wing and the plane, it's unbalanced in that direction. That it's like, yeah. it's, it's like it's tilted slightly in that tilted. Way. Yeah. Yeah. I did like that little touch. And she's carrying him and then she comes and she's walking through like this, the old mansion in the hallways and there's someone singing and she goes in the room and there's her mom still, but like in this weird like wonderland built garden kind of looking thing. And then, you know, the mom's being the mom. Oh, did you bring someone to hear me sing? Like creepy, eerie singing. Like, yeah, because it's weird. Like the lyrics are weird. Yeah, they are. Like I said, it's creepy. It's like an old abandoned mansion. Yeah. Creepy. Just with that, the way the room is built up, like oversized flowers and mm-hmm. weird, creepy, big head deer statues. Reminds me a little bit of like a Willy Wonka chocolate factory when they get to the yeah. candy room. I thought more Alice in Wonderland, but yeah, I could see the Willy Wonka thing. Seems like something maybe Poison Ivy helped them set up. Like it looks <laughs> weird. Drawing a lot of parallels between her and Batman, like even though they don't, yes. she doesn't like Batman. It's yeah. like, oh, you're the rich debutante returning to Gotham City, just like, you know, when Batman came back mm-hmm. and you've got, you know, Vigilante in the Night and Rich Mansion that's haunted by the memory of your parents in one way or another and a lot of parallels. The evil dude who's trying to get his assistant, or which we find out later was his bodyguard, he walks up and he's trying to go see she. He has to basically say that, talk about her artwork. Apparently this is the creator of the art was uh, that he showed was created. And I believe that came out weird, but hopefully you understand my meaning. <laughs> and they're like, well, we hope you survive this interruption. It's like, can't help it. And it shows older woman in a kind of stylish, I guess she would think so outfit. And she's torturing someone and making artwork from the splatter and the gore. She's slicing him open and has a canvas underneath him to catch all mm-hmm. the, yep. That's right. the bits. He explains the situation, what happened to him and his bodyguard and his reaction to her artwork. And she's like saying, well, that's why I don't usually take like commission pieces. And she explains how she wants the person she's using for her medium to suffer, but then it would interrupt the process of the art. And so the art's more important. Basically creepy villain monologue going on. This was like a Dexter villain is what it made me think of. Like this came out of Dexter. Yeah, very much. She's got her kill room (laughs) set up, definitely. Exactly. And she's gonna make art with it. And he's basically, well, I just want to inform you, uh, we're, we're working on it. We'll see what happens. And it's like, oh, yes, of course. And then she finally, like, just kills the guy that she's playing with. She's just creating more art. Yeah. She's just... <laughs> well, it's, it's better. So back with Violet in her... I want to say it's her mansion, but then you see the sign saying ladies' room. So I'm not sure where she's at at the moment. Just see how it says ladies. Yeah. There's, like, all this back and forth. She wants to know about Hemsley, which is the guy who this guy was bodyguarding and what he had. And wants to know more about the work and why he wants him dead and he's just like wow i thought you were like one of the good guys you're not there's some good lines here between them where yeah he's asking her like who are you and she's like it doesn't matter he's like well it does matter if you're a monster like they are and then this is kind of where the title comes in where she's like maybe maybe not it's a work in progress yeah yeah whether she is or isn't two flavors of costumes in the city the psychos who hurt and the psychos who help but need help but then he's like it's kids man i'm like mm, no that panel i think is the artwork that he saw is that the orphanage then? That's kind of what it made me think of. Yeah. Catwoman's orphanage, but that would be, that's not the right time period. Yeah. Something with kids being burned. It's not okay. Care about having more ammo. Yeah, where he's like, it's kids, you have to care about that. Yeah. Nope, more ammo. The whole work in progress, yeah, it definitely is. You don't really know if you're rooting for this person or not yet. Well, I wanted to talk about the backup story, the Gotham Radio okay. one. Yeah. yeah, so the Gotham Radio, yeah. So after that, there's Gotham Radio, scene one, 1621. 
I actually really liked this short story. It was really interesting. This is, I believe, going to be a tie-in to the Batman story that made me like comic books more than just whatever I could pick up from, like, the nickel bin, you know? Yeah. I believe this is a tie-in to The Long Halloween. Ah, that's what I was wondering. Versus the Batman, and then there's the, the page of just all the reactions. Radio disc jockey is talking about how there's all these holes inside of people, and you try and fill them with things, and he's thinking about this because of Thanksgiving, and everyone's listening, and then someone comes in and assassinates him on the air and everyone hears it and freaks out and then you have someone who says Thanksgiving which makes me think of The Long Halloween which mm-hmm. is a really classic story with Batman each holiday has its murder and you find out what's what's happening with it and it's an amazing probably one of my favorite Batman stories of, of all time other than maybe The Dark Knight I think that's my, my favorite Batman no. story so I think that this is what this is that this is going to be maybe there's going to be backup stories that tie into The Long Halloween I'm not sure I found this actually really interesting the art stands in the way of the story it makes it really hard for me to understand what's going on. The art is a little dark and hard to decipher. The story is interesting. Her story is very parallel to Batman. Her dad, and this is actually described at the very, very end. There's a full description of her character and her dad was killed in a hunting accident. Mm. Potentially that same one they were at. Her data file was way more interesting <laughs> than part of the story. Read the data file. It's really, really, really interesting. And that has me in- wondering if the guy with them is maybe Hemsley. Maybe his name is Fred Hemsley because they only call him Fred in the thing and he's kind of in darker shadows in the flashback but if that's who she's really wondering about you know and questioning. It doesn't say but she also apparently has a brother. She was 13 when it says his daughter and a business associate he was killed in what appeared to be a hunting accident. Not exactly sure if it was with that person or who it doesn't doesn't clarify so we that may be something we figure out. Her mom was put in an institution. Her brother did not want to have anything to do with her and put her in an experimental boarding school so she's Mm -hmm. fucked up. Yeah. So seriously that should have been at the beginning i know i know i'm so glad that i actually flipped all the way to the very very end it gives her a full profile and it does see it says that her mom was diagnosed with early onset alzheimer's um not always remember who she was or her kids or her you know husband all that good stuff Uh gives the bio where it's like her powers and weapons she's like hand-to-hand combat she has some enhanced superhuman strength but they don't know why Hmm. which i wonder if that's this weird private boarding school that we might find about all right editors listen up put that shit in the beginning because you need to know that it's so good like it totally if you read this it would be way more interesting to read the book yeah well because i felt like i had insight on the character more by this because there are a lot of gaps into who she is read the last page i liked it so much more when I read the last page. I guess I'll give it three creepy singing. I will give it three and a half eyeball flowers. I'll give it three and a half long Halloweens because to me, the Mother Panic comic itself, it was all right. I'm supportive of new heroes and all that good stuff. The last couple pages to me was the standout, which has a different writing team. It's written by Jim Kruger, pencils by Phil Hester, inks by Anta Parks, colors by Trish Mulvihill. Clean Room number 13, Vertigo Comic, Time and Tide, written by Gail Simone, pencils and inks by Walter Giovanni, colors by Quentin Winters, which totally was screwing with me because it's not what is it john davis hunt is the yeah. normal yes normal artist and it's pretty close some, it's really really close right now we we're talking about this earlier the faces are a little off but everything yeah. else is super close say i think astrid looks 
simpler. Like, she's kind of, like, drawn down. I couldn't put my finger on it until Ryan mentioned it. Yeah, the faces don't have as much detail. No. Mm -hmm. Like, when John Davis Hunt draws that stuff, it's crisp, razor-sharp, amazing stuff. This is not bad, either, but it's... It's really good, but when you're so used to something, and you're like, something's askew, you know something's wrong. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Still, great story, anyway. There is... The beginning is very, very strange. I don't think we have seen either of these people. I don't think so, either. Guy who goes out into the woods, has a picture of the hellspawn child gives it to this guy and the guy basically tells him to jump off a cliff <laughs> i was like i think that you'll know what to do or do the right thing like oh my goodness that was like make good choices <laughs> Boom. uh then they actually show the guy's whole face which is half of it is completely burned i was like that's very two-face which yes. is kind of interesting so we know he's fucked up i'm guessing he is another one of those weird alien demon looking things we get back to the foundation we get to killing and Silver Fox are, <laughs> <laughs> for lack of a better name. I mean, they're getting their rights taken away from them. They're getting downgraded. They're stripped naked. They're getting torn down from what they used to be. They're now down to Frells, which is like the basic level of... Yeah, they have to wear the blue uniforms now. And then Astrid comes in and she basically she's interrogating them. One of my favorite parts where she basically says, you know, I want you to tell me your worst moment in your entire life and then she makes them see it. (laughs) Yeah, that's what the clean room can do. That was so awesome and they're like screaming at her and they're like, you know, we loved you and she's like, you know, I don't care, they're loyal. And then she has like this moment like where she like, she's like no, she like, she changes like her her heart changes like she actually has emotion which we haven't mm-hmm. completely seen from her she breaks down and she like hugs them and like asks them for forgiveness which is seems so uncharacteristic of her and i at that moment i was like something is truly wrong with her something is very wrong with yeah. her yeah because when she was being the like kind of cold-hearted person interrogating them, i'm like all right this is astrid this is totally yeah. within her realm i like mm-hmm. it where she's like do you know what you've done and they're like oh yeah we we set the demon free and we endangered the world and all that she's like oh, no, yeah no you betrayed no. me. That's what you did. That is <laughs> the worst the worst possible thing that you could possibly do. Yeah. They even mentioned, like, one of her people mentioned, and she's like, you showed emotion. That's just so, that's out of the ordinary. And I thought that was really weird, and that made me think something is wrong, truly wrong with her. Like, that's yeah. not her. Or she's struggling for control with something. It was one of those things where that moment's like, oh, something's bad. There's that moment in the room where she starts having this, like, I don't know if she's having, like, a tick or sneezing or whatever she's doing, but something is going on. Oh, yeah. She, like, kind of does that weird like sniff kind of thing and like coughs yeah the way that she said it it was like i don't know if that was like her breaking down emotionally i'm wondering if it's you know that perfume that they say that she wears that bothers the demons yeah I wonder if she's reacting to that that was another thought where it's like she's got a demon in her i was like oh man uh-huh. so that might be a tell we might have just broken this down one of my favorite panels though in this is where she goes to meet the new recruits the dude without <laughs> pants i saw that i'm like she's gonna like that <laughs> the weird guy the weird guy with all the who made the like the naked <laughs> weird he wants to watch people do it yes but the reason that's not why she has him in her employee the reason is that giant battleship that they had aimed at the alien homeworld he's the guy who made Mm -hmm. that but yes he is the one who sees everybody (laughs) naked and doing it when he looks at them yeah creepy weirdo boot captain he is and the funniest part is like did you forget your trousers and he's like oh no oh wait yeah (laughs) 
So Astrid is now going to go find Chloe. This is where it also gets really weird, and I feel like she's not herself. They even describe it where she says, like, she's like, she's gonna, she wants Wieners and beer, and on the side, her two people are like, okay, this is kind of weird. They kind of mumble to each other, like, she eats crackers with a knife and fork. If she eats cornbread, I'm getting her a psyche eval. Yeah. Seeing the cracks. Something is really, really odd. I want the worst, and she says in German, mm-hmm. and just her wieners. Yeah. Her whole, like, manner of speech just seems odd as well. It's very different, so something is totally, totally off. Well, I mean, she is German, so I mean, it could just be that that's... She, right. I don't see her saying er, like the way they've had her sentence yeah. structure. She would say it and mean it. it. She wouldn't change what she said. Sure, she would expect you to know what the word meant. She wouldn't explain to you what the word meant. And then when they show her use the fork to eat out, like, the communal bowl of potato salad, I'm like, that also seemed very... So she basically kind of negotiates after yelling at Chloe to come back to the clean room. But my favorite part was the description where she talks about Earth being the devil's island for these entities. They're outcasts or something. It reminded me of, like, wasn't Australia where they used to send people? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, it made me think of that where, like, Earth is just, like, the shithole that they're dumping all their killers and letting them roam free. And they just finally got bored and are now, like, we're going to torment us. Mess with the locals. I was like, oh, man. And humans don't matter because they're not advanced enough to be anything but animals. Yeah. To me, the whole dialogue there was spot on. I loved reading that. So they go back to the clean room, and we get to see Chloe. <laughs> this one is so good! Aw, it's a cute little baby. And Chloe's mm-hmm. like, oh, look at how cute she is. What a beautiful little girl. And Astra's like, oh, I was afraid you would say that. Mm-hmm. Oh, God. So she's like, do you have something to say? And fucking alien face, like, fuck you, you fucking fucking bitch, fuck you. <laughs> I was like, oh, so good. So it's the spiders in your snatch. Wild coming out of your dirty whore mouth. Oh, so good. We're coming for you, you monkey bitch or yeah. bitch monkey. Chloe, she doesn't see it and she doesn't hear it, which is weird because she she has been able to see that stuff before. The little cute little baby's like, you want to see something funny? Like, you want to see a trick? She makes the guard that came there take the gun and Astrid's like, oh, don't worry. I had his bullets removed. And the little cute baby just chains back to the cute baby. He's like, I don't really need bullets. And just, he shoots and there's obviously death. Like, we don't see that there was a bullet, blood everywhere. I'm feeling maybe he shoved the whole gun into his head. I wonder when she says back to Chloe, like Philip says hello, did you notice that the blocks spell Philip? I did not. Damn. She's holding the P in the letter. The look on that little that baby's face is ah Damn, child. So, oh, so bad. It's all for you, Damien. Yeah, it's very super weirdo guy showing up to the front door wanting to speak to Astrid and you see from the back and you can't even tell it's a guy, it almost looks like it's a woman. Red hair skinny pink tank top and then you see the the picture it's a guy who wants to really meet her he's like i need to meet her i know she'll want to see me he says i'm her number one fan he's got balloons with her face on it and says a t-shirt says astrid Mueller's fan is that spark look at the smile and the pink goatee Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. He's just creepy, like, he has Astrid hair. Meet your serial killer, <laughs> basically. There's a lot of, like, little hidden things. Do you remember when we first read the very first book and we went back and we found all these, like, weird clues about, like, the chess pieces and the colors? There are little Easter eggs in here all over, I'm sure. And I'm sure we're missing some of them, but there's there's some fucking breadcrumbs in here. Definitely. Yeah. I really enjoyed this one. This is another great, horrible, horrible, awesome story. To me, it felt less focused than other issues of Clean Room. And the art, it's not John Davis Hunt. It's pretty close in some places, but in other places, it's not. And that just throws me. I hope that this is just a one-off, that he's not off the book, because he's a the major part of the The faces seem less defined, everybody, which is yeah, awkward. Yeah, like less 
finished. It's, yeah. yeah, it's very strange. Because we're so used to having yeah. so much definition to really see who they, you know, who they are and see every expression, and some of them do seem to lack a little bit. Especially with Chloe. Like, Astrid yes. is pretty good, but everyone else is not so great. It's Astrid is where I first noticed it, and I went back and looked. There are definitely creepy parts that live up to, you know, the reputation we have built for it. Man, that baby is disturbing. Oh, yeah. You know, there are little clues and things you can think of. I didn't even notice that coughing, sniffing. So now that you mentioned mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, yeah. Well, I didn't notice the blocks at the end with, mm-hmm. you know, the name spelled out. So this is why we work as a team. I want to give it four smiters in your snatch. <laughs> <laughs> four and a quarter. This is what the Pharrells wear. Oh, yeah. They're so pissed. They're like, oh. I will give it three and a quarter version. You just gave it dicks. <laughs> <laughs> so we're still staying with DC. We've got Detective Comics number 944, The Victim Syndicate Part 2, written by James Tinney and the Fourth, pencils by Eddie Barrows, inks by Eber Ferreria, colors by Adriano Lucas. So this one has some serious nightmare yes. material in it. I was really, I was like, the Night of the Monster Men should have been like this, because this was some scary shit. The villains in here are fucking scarier. I mean, there was some crazy shit with like the multiple heads, but... Mm-hmm. But they weren't really disturbing. They were just kind of monstrous. And these are... And their background story is disturbing. These are a collection of... I don't necessarily want to call them villains. I'll just... They're antagonists to Batman, who are victims of all of the cool stories you see where Batman buildings are collapsing around them and cars are getting thrown and all that. These are the people who get hurt and whose families get hurt in the aftermath. When Batman, you know, fights, you know, the Joker or someone like that, that there are people who die and get hurt and mutilated and damaged beyond all repair. So I don't know why you would ever go to a gala or charity event in Gotham City, (laughs) ever. (laughs) Nobody fucking (laughs) learns. Don't fucking go to the gala or the ball. It's going to end up with some kind of supervillain holding everyone hostage. This is a policeman's ball where they're premiering like a bunch of experimental weapons, which they mention. They're like, you clearly must be insane if you invaded a room full of policemen armed with experimental weapons. So you get these characters, and they're all really, really great. The man who's wearing the kind of, like, leather, like, bondage gear with, like, the red blood hood on him reminds me so much of, like, Hellraiser. Immediately thought of Hellraiser. I thought so, too. This person has constructed a suit so that Batman can't just punch his way out of the problem, but he actually has to listen to her. And later on, Batwing cuts the power supply to that so Batman can attack the person, but at first he can't. And you find all of these creepy, really great character designs. I mean, my god, they're they're spectacular. So there's one person who was had like a Joker gas attack and they lost their voice uh, because of it. Like they were laughing so hard. The only way to stop that was just remove their larynx and trachea out. And he can now silence people so that Batman can't like just talk over them, that he has to actually listen to them. And there's a kind of cool moment where he goes to use the power on orphan and they're like oh she doesn't talk anyway so your power doesn't do shit to her I thought that was kind of cool and then there's this kind of old crone type oh, lady who is from Clayface that she was damaged in the same like chemical attack that he was damaged in but she can't control her shape so she just looks horrible she reminds me a lot of in the dark crystal the lady who can take out her eye Agra. yeah Agra like Agra in like a pimp suit kind of <laughs> like a zoot suit yes <laughs> yes and then there's a person who can make people poison them because he was affected by poison ivy and really nauseous. So he does that to, I think, spoiler, and she starts, like, throwing up. Like, really oh, yeah. vivid vomit drawings here. <laughs> like, she's not doing well. So they're kind of containing the bat people and telling them that they want the people of Gotham who have been victimized by both sides 
to rise up and demand that Batman, you know, take off the cowl and basically stop doing what he's going to do. And there's also a really interesting panel where they're fighting, where they keep showing these like split panels of their faces, which I thought was interesting, where half of it is the victim and half of it is Batman talking to each other. It was kind of neat to me. But really, the art in here is just spectacular. The action scenes look really great. The villains are creepy as hell, truly nightmarish. Um, really enjoyed this. I thought they were very creative designs. I thought their powers were used in unique ways. And the thing that I also like about it is they're not wrong. The street surgeon lady that he always takes people to who runs the free clinic, she's like, if their methods weren't so horrible, I would agree with them. You know, that you aren't very careful about collateral damage when you do things. People get hurt. I just think it's interesting to see Batman's past come out to take his revenge against him. I didn't agree with because they were saying, like, this is the person because the Scarecrow was trying to test on them, which isn't really his collateral damage. I mean, some of the villains created themselves. He didn't really always create all the villains. If they're testing on him, that's not really his collateral damage. I mean, some of them they were, some of them they weren't. And then, like, I always love, like, the hypocrite villains. Like, so instead, you're going to create more of these because now... Now you have you're attacking this gala, so you're making potentially more people who can be collateral damage. You weird hypocrite. And that part at the end where Spoiler is in the hospital recovering from like her sickness, and the main person comes out of I don't know where the hell he comes out of, but he's oh, yeah. like over her bed at the end. It's like, well, now it's time for you to listen. It's time we have a little chat. Yeah. yeah. Oh man, this was creepy. This was creepy and good and really interesting. I really liked it. Excellent use of the bubbles. Having the main super creep with the red and black, that was really, really good and helpful and very definitive how they did that first, a couple of the characters. It makes it stand out. It makes it even fucking creepier, which was great. Very appreciative of that. I was a big fan of this one. I always tend to like Batman, so this was right up in that good Batman genre. This reminds me of, what is it? There's a Batman the Animated Series where it's like all the villains come after him at once. There's one episode that's like that, and it very, very much yeah. reminds me of the layout of that same story, which is is a very typical Batman story, which is very, very. Awesome. I think it's like the time I almost got Batman, yeah. or something like yeah. that. Yeah. Like Killer Croc is like, let me tell you about the time yeah. I almost hit him with a rock. <laughs> like that, your master plan. It kind of yeah. reminded me of that, like all coming back. And then Batman's Joe Chill sitting in there listening to all their stories. Yeah, I think I would give this four and a half it's time we talked i'm gonna give it three and three quarters three and a half freaking hellraiser evil pieces of shit holy crap it was great over to marvel yes the clone conspiracy number two marvel comics written by dan slott pencils by jim chung and inks by john dell colors by justin poncer we are back with peter and in San Francisco at, was it New yeah. U? He had just run into Doc Ock and Gwen Stacy. And he's like, you know, I rolled a disbelief, you know, moment. And, you know, she kept on saying, well, I'm not a clone. And Doc's like, no, I'm very much me. I remember everything. And he seems to remember things that Peter doesn't remember. And it just starts going back into, like, the jumping universe kind of fighty time. And then Jackal, in his Anubis mask, shows up with the Rhino and Electro chick version and basically makes him apologize yeah. I'm sorry, I like her, whatever you. sure whatever kumbaya that was that line got me i was like yeah pretty funny. i do like that their pictures of doc ock is he's you know still like he's pretty chunky in these, yeah. these drawings <laughs> yeah. you know he might be a badass but they haven't made him into like a super athlete which i appreciate so they take 
Peter on a tour and I guess trying to convince him of what they're doing there and things like that. And he keeps still going on how like, well, you're not sending, you know, all the other clones, you know, set off my space senses. She's like, I keep telling you I'm not a clone. And then they're going to him. She's like, many people have been here and this is part of the tour where they seem to change their mind. And she's like, well, I prefer not to go in there if possible. I've seen this part of the tour before. And he's like, Peter has always saved you before. He'll Which protect you. Which is such a you. dick move. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It was. I was like, ooh. And inside the room is every villain that Peter has ever killed, taken out. And a lot of the D-list ones, too. Yeah, D-list ones, but also... There's Green Goblin, Hobgoblin, Mysterio. There's a werewolf. He is surprised, as one would be, and conversations ensue. And basically, their whole idea and train of thought is, well, we're doing this as a favor for you. We're clearing your conscience. There's no more blood on your hands. It's so weird. Yeah, it's very strange. The beginning, someone running away and then being chased by zombies and saying, don't let them touch you. And later on, you find out where if they don't take their pill from the jackal, that they turn into zombies, apparently. <laughs> so I just created a room full of supervillains. They're going to zombify. <laughs> oh, fuck that shit. <laughs> <laughs> so then we also see a couple floors up, Jameson talking to his wife, who's been cloned and on the pill. And she's going to introduce them to someone. Which I'm assuming it's their son, you know, astronaut, werewolf boy. So yes, and then jumps back and then, then there's the big kind of reveal where it's actually Spider-Gwen. She jump in universes and she's like on full trading with Kane. He's expecting her to show up at some point. And she says that her cover's been blown. She's helping Peter. And that's where he learns about, you know, they need to take the pill. And she tries to contact Kane. And he has the clone Gwen in the trunk of a car. And he pulls up to, I'm going to guess it's like San Francisco State or something like the equivalent thereof. Peter had some of the antidote he found before. Yeah. And he hands it to him. It's like, here's a dose, you know, work it out, give it to her. She's going to turn into a zombie. We don't want that. The best villains are the ones who think they're doing good. He doesn't seem like he knows that he's doing wrong, but nothing can be good. It's going to go so bad. Yeah, I'm like watching that. I'm like, you brought back all these bad villains. I mean, there's sometimes there's a reason they had to die. Before. To me, this would be like Peter's worst nightmare. He's going to have to deal with all of these people again. Nothing good will come of this. <laughs> I was like, I'm reading this issue. I'm like, this is just going to go all bad. I gave it three and a half werewolves in the <laughs> bad guy pen. All right, I'm going to give it three and a quarter whatever kumbaya bitches. <laughs> I give it three and a half. Don't forget to take your pill. Well, boys and girls, so those were the books we read this week. To check out our weekly pull list and other nerd shenanigans, go check out fourcolornerds.com or our Facebook page, Four Color Nerds. You can follow us on Twitter or on Instagram. You can find the podcast on iTunes and Google Play Music. And on SoundCloud. And on Stitcher. And on Podcast Addict. We have a second podcast for PC gaming for the cheap and broke. Four Color Nerds Broke Gaming. Be sure to come back next week for another episode. Until then, keep reading, nerds.